Well, we have all been there, I'm sure. It is a balmy uh, Saturday afternoon in July. And for some reason, someone thought that it was a good idea to have a wedding in the South outside in July. We have already purchased the towel set from Bed Bath & Beyond. We have had them wrap it up in their nice little silver paper, and we have brought it to the wedding. We're there early to greet guests. Pretty quickly thereafter, an entourage of people start walking up, and then there's little kids, which someone else has decided is a good idea to have in weddings. And the little kids have real rose petals. And they're dropping them off. And then the service starts. And then midway through the service, there's a lady who's in a really overpriced dress. And she starts walking up to the stage. And most of us know she's probably someone that wasn't close enough to the bride to actually be in the bridal party. But it was kind of an insult to make her guest book attendant. So she walks up and grabs the microphone. Some of you are laughing because that was your story. (laughs) She walks up to the microphone and she picks up the microphone and starts saying, love is patient. Love is kind. Love never ends. And then as she's walking away, she gives a nod to the bride and the groom who consequently have spent more time getting ready than humanly possible. They look the best that they've ever looked in their life. And they are thinking to themselves, this passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, was a poem that Paul penned because he knew we were going to need something at weddings. But they would be wrong. 1 Corinthians 13 actually would be more received in an audience that looked like this. I call this my open letter to the church at Corinth. Dear church, I hope you are well. Just in case you didn't know this, there are believers within your midst who are continually boasting and being really puffed up and arrogant, even when they know they are wrong. They are saying to themselves, there is no way I could be wrong. There are also those within the church that are unwilling to suffer with one another and bear one another's burdens. Instead of helping, they are saying, you have a problem, then you need to take care of that yourself. Some in your midst are even insisting on eating meat, even though meat is very offensive to some in the congregation. And so instead of changing my behavior, they just need to get over it. Many within your church are also envious and jealous, and they're comparing their spiritual gifts, even though they have been taught that everyone has a spiritual gift and no one is better or holier because they can speak in tongues. I just thought you should know, I think you can do much, much better. Signed, a concerned church planter. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is an interesting chapter of the Bible. If you had that read at your wedding, your marriage is still really good and solid, okay? So don't throw something at me. Don't go on Twitter and say, the guy speaking at Rolling Hills said that that's a bad passage to read at a wedding. It's not a bad passage to read at a wedding. It's a very apropos passage of scripture to read at a wedding. But there's something a little bit deeper going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 than just a poem about how patient our love should be and how love is truly marked by kindness. Because 1 Corinthians 13 is a passage of scripture that takes us down that truly less traveled road. We're coming to the end of a sermon series this summer in the book of 1 Corinthians called The Road Less Traveled, where we've been unpacking this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And in Corinth, if you've been with us at all, you would have been very much in the loop that there's a lot of issues rearing their ugly heads 
in the church at Corinth. And chapter 13 is specifically wedged in between chapters 12 and 14, which talk about spiritual gifts. And if you weren't here last week, in chapter 12, there is some confusion about the role of spiritual gifts in the life of the church. And Paul has reminded everyone in Corinth who is a believer in Jesus Christ that they have a spiritual gift. And that spiritual gift was given to them for the express purpose of building up the body of Christ, building up the church. And they are no less important or no more important because of their giftedness. Now, regardless of their gift, who God is the author of, by the way, so we didn't choose that ourselves. regardless of our gift, Paul is saying there is actually something greater. There is actually something greater that you and I should desire. And that greater thing that you and I should desire is love. And that's where 1 Corinthians 13 uh, kicks off. And that's where we're going to be going for uh, the next couple minutes together. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Those words are going to be up here behind these big screens behind my head. It's also printed for you in your worship guide so you can follow along with us. But before we read that passage of scripture, I do want to say what a pleasure it is uh, to be here. My name is Jason and uh, I've been on staff here at Rolling Hills for almost five years And I'm the campus pastor of our new location up in South Nashville. We've been uh, meeting up there for right about six months and just having a blast and uh, having a lot of fun and uh, seeing some interesting things happen in the life of people. We have seen our first couple people come to faith in Christ, have baptized some folks, have some other folks that are ready to be baptized. We've seen people jump into worship one, serve one. We've dedicated our first babies. And so it's just, it's been a lot of fun. And so we appreciate your prayers and your support in that, Uh, whether you attend here or attend there. Uh, We're just grateful to be on this journey together. And my wife and I, um, whose name is Jacqueline and our sweet little girl who, um, she's nine months old, but I call her nine months bold um, because she's strong. She's the one, you know, some of us have had to do the child 142 before. Anybody ever been child 142? You see the number pop up here and you you have to go to back to the nursery to get your kid. Well, that's that's our child, unfortunately. You know, she has this mommy complex. So, um, doesn't like other people keeping her, but we're grateful for you and grateful for this partnership that we get to be in together. And I am, again, just privileged to be here with you today as we spend the next few minutes unpacking God's word together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just another beautiful day of life. Thank you for a chance to be in your word this morning. I pray that as we read it and study it together, that it would transform our lives. I pray that it would not be the words that are printed, the words that are on these screens, but it would be your word that would penetrate our heart and that we would walk away here changed because of the love that you have lavished on us. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. Let's start in verse one. If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly. It's not selfish, is not provoked, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never 
ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I alluded to it in my intro. My wife and I had a baby uh, about nine months ago. And we noticed something different about my parents after we had a baby. Now, I have really wonderful parents, but they live about five and a half hours from here up in central Kentucky. And I can assume that it's really difficult for a grandparent to be, you know, any distance away from a grandchild. So in an attempt to rectify that situation, they decided that what we were going to do is we already had iPhones, but they were going to get iPhones. They were going to have a Wi-Fi router installed in their house. They were going to learn how to do Skype. They were going to learn how to do FaceTime so that we could all, you know, chart the baby's progression uh, at, visually, and, and even though we were five and a half hours away. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but you've got to understand, I have parents that will send me emails that the whole body of the email is in the subject line. You know what I mean? It just goes on and on and on, and they, they'll use words like LOL in their text messaging. I mean, there's stuff that's mind-blowing for your parents to be doing. And I would like to say that to this day, we have had zero successful attempts at FaceTiming. And I don't think that's my problem. And what I realized in that moment is that it doesn't matter how much money we have spent on the tools for them. It doesn't matter how much I am the phone-in geek squad from Tennessee. If they have the tools but do not know how to use them, then those tools are useless. And in some ways, that is where Paul is headed with the church at Corinth and where he is headed with us today. Because I can have all of the giftedness in the world. I can have everything under the sun available to me. I can have taken all of the assessments. I can have signed up to serve. And I can even have the lanyard and the name tag. But those gifts and those works will always be limited if I don't use them in the right way. And if I don't understand the purposes of them. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is trying to help us unpack. In fact, one of the things that we see, there's three points that are listed there in your worship guide. One of the first things that we see is love trumps giftedness. Love trumps giftedness. Or in other words, love is more important than our giftedness. In chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. And the church at Corinth was arguing about whose gifts were more important than the other. And what Paul is trying to do is very poignantly remind them that the most spectacular gift, not used for the right reason, is useless. Gifts of tongues without love are like a sounding gong or a crashing cymbal. That Greek reference for gong refers to this large acoustic theatrical vase that would have been used to reverb and, and 
sound pass all the way out through these big amphitheaters. And now, I have brought a symbol with me this morning. Now, what I want you to know is that I love you, and God loves you, and God has a real specific plan for your life, and it doesn't matter what you have gone through, God is there for you. I always wanted to be in a drum band to do that. You can't pay attention to what I'm saying when I'm banging on this symbol. And where Paul is headed is without love, all the gifts that you have are a big clanging symbol. It's a big clanging symbol that no one can actually pay attention to. And the benefit of that gift isn't being received to the extent that God has wired it to be received. Prophecy is the same way with words, truths, and mysteries without the proper context are just words. And each of you as followers of Christ have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And the Holy Spirit is fully God and has given you an ability that the Bible calls a spiritual gift. And that gift might be of leadership. It might be encouragement, discernment, or mercy. But it is God's design and God's plan for you to be serving in your giftedness. Because the church is stronger because of that. And you are stronger. And those around you are stronger because of that. But however, if not driven by love, if not driven by love, then your gift is not being used to the full extent. Paul would say that that gift is nothing and that you are gaining nothing in return when using it. It has been my experience that most of us want to use our gifts and we want to serve for the right reasons. We want to be compelled for the right reasons, the basis of love. But the reality is our jumping off point is not always love. Unfortunately, we sometimes look at scenarios through obligation and we look at scenarios through guilt. And I've been on both sides of that coin. I've served out of obligation and sometimes I've asked you to serve and tried to make you feel guilty if you didn't do it. And that's just not right. It's not God's design. It's not God's plan. And some of us have been there too based on the giftedness we have because there are certain gifts that are very inconvenient. Anybody in the room that knows they have a gift of mercy? Anybody in the room? Okay, well, one person. Wow. Um, so we're all coming to her after the service, okay? Real big, raise your hand up real big. Own it, sister. Mercy, there you go. The gift of mercy is a really inconvenient gift because when you have the gift of mercy, you know how to walk with people through difficult things. You know the words to say, you know how to offer them the right insight, you know how to intersect in their life in the specific place where they are. Now, what you and I know about mercy is that those, those opportunities to exercise the gift of mercy never happen on a Tuesday morning when you're in your office. They happen at night, usually on the weekend, when all you want to do is take a nap. And you're at that critical juncture where you say, I can do one of two things. I can, on the basis of love, go utilize and serve in my area of giftedness, or I can feel really bad that they're wandering out there by themselves and not be motivated by any love at all and step into their life out of mere obligation. Paul says there's a better way. Paul says there's a better way than using our gifts like that. And that better way is to desire love, to allow love to reign in our hearts, to be driven by love, to use our gifts. Now with that, however, we've got to realize the second thing is that love comes with a price. This type of love comes with a huge price. 
starting in verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, this Greek word for love here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is agape. And the Greek language has a a variety of different words for love. But agape is this unconditional type of love. It's a very selfless type of love. It's, in fact, the type of love that Jesus showed us. The type of love that is marked by the truth that there is never a price that could fully be paid to experience this type of love. Agape love is very sacrificial. It's not based on how you feel. And agape love is definitely not based on how convenient it is to show love in that moment. And so to be driven by that kind of love has a very high cost. And that's going to require you and I to realign and reframe the way that we live our lives. It it changes everything. It changes everything about the way that we live our lives. To the church in Galatia, Paul said in chapter 5, verse 14 of the book of Galatians, that the entire law can be summed up in the statement, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law is this throwback to all of the Old Testament teachings and systems and structures Part of the Old Testament law in Leviticus 19:18 was to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus Christ himself taught that the two most important commandments were to love God and love people. And love is this central Christian ethic. It is that golden nugget. It is the be-all, end-all of our faith. And it is the primary motivator as to why you and I should serve and live the life that God has called us to live. However, just like the Corinthians, we face some problems. And what Paul does here is really interesting. In verses 4 through 7, he takes the attitudes and the behaviors of the Corinthians and he overlays them on the characteristics of the church. For example, he says love is not boastful. Well, what attitude were the Corinthians adopting in terms of spiritual gifts? Boastfulness. They were saying, my gift is better than yours and you would be holier if you had this type of gift. Paul says love doesn't boast. Love doesn't do that. Love does not act improperly. Corinthians, you're seeing people go down a path of destruction and instead of doing anything about it, if you can't beat them, join them. So you just join in. Paul's saying love doesn't do that. Rather, love is marked by patience and it's marked by kindness and it has not a tinge of arrogance about it. It's not conceited and it's definitely not concerned about getting revenge. And that, my friends, is a kind of love that requires a huge price. It requires a huge price for us to love that way. And the implications of that go far beyond the walls of this church. That affects the way you love in your home. It affects the way that you love at the workplace. It affects the way that you love and serve in the church. And it definitely affects the way that you love in our community and in the world. I love these, these words and characteristics that Paul uses in chapter, uh, verses 4 through 7. And I love to also think about how we could reword them. Paul says love is patient. Well, that could easily be reworded as I have to die to my desire for things to always work on my timetable. Love is kind could easily be reworded as I have to die to my bad attitude. Love is does not envy could easily be rewarded as I have to die to my desire to want to keep up with you 
but rather be fully content with what I have. Love is not boastful could easily be reworded as I have to die to my desires to always call attention to myself. Love is not provoked could easily be reworded as I have to die to my desire to be frustrated when things don't go my way. Love keeps no record of wrongs could easily be reworded as I have to die to my desire to get even, even when I was wronged. And love finds no joy in unrighteousness could easily be rewarded as I have to die to my desire to continue living in sin and to care enough about a person to step into their life when they are headed down a path of destruction. Because many in the Corinthian church were really not willing to pay that price, even though it was what Paul said we should desire. And I think this morning we have to very honestly ask ourselves the question, where do we fall in that spectrum? Where do we fall in that spectrum? Where are the areas in our life that we need to die to self to be able to adopt this kind of love that is marked by putting others first and marked by not being the center of our own world? Because in order for us to really swim out in the deep waters of faith where that giftedness perfectly aligns with a need in the world and we know that we are serving, we're living, and we're doing exactly what God created us to do, requires us to live this way requires us to be unpopular, but requires us to live this way. And lastly, we can see from this passage of scripture that love conquers all. Love conquers all. Love never ends in verse eight, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. If we're at a a summer wedding in July and it's really hot, Uh, like most Julys are in Tennessee, not the one that we're in right now. But if we're at a summer wedding and you've spent a lot of money to have a nice big ice sculpture out there and the wedding ends and uh, I really like the ice sculpture and Rhonda really likes the ice sculpture and we're both close to the bride and groom so we're going to argue who gets to take the ice sculpture home. Now, we would give you all permission to stand in the corners and laugh at us arguing over an ice sculpture in July. Because eventually, in the matter of minutes, that ice sculpture is going to become a puddle. Paul's saying to the church in Corinth, all of these gifts, all of these arguments, all of these jockeying for position, all of these things you're trying to do to get ahead, and all of the struggles, and all of the frustrations, and all of the things that just don't make sense, they're all coming to an end. Because there is a day when all of these giftedness, even the spectacular ones, are no longer going to be needed. And to those of you who have placed more importance on being right, or more importance on being boastful instead of being driven by love, then you are acting like a child. Now that's God's word. So if that's offensive, then you can pray about that. Because that's God's word. 
God's word says to adopt an attitude that is different from this means I'm acting like a child. But this is a real struggle. I get it. I've not figured this all out either because what the world says is that being right or important should be pursued at all costs. The world says love is not the most important thing that you can ever pursue because other things matter more. But what I see in this passage of scripture is that the opposite of love is not necessarily hate. The opposite of love here is boastfulness, arrogance, self-seeking, vindictiveness, And the opposite of love is, unfortunately, just giving up and quitting. And I'm very aware in a room that this size that there's a lot of situations that come in those back doors or these side doors and that sit here in these seats. Many of us, God is calling us to exercise and take the next step of love in a very difficult or very tricky situation. And some of us are so close to quitting. I mean, we are just teetering dangerously on the edge to quitting and giving up on someone, giving up on a person or a situation. And there's others of us in the room that we're in a situation where we have been wronged or we feel very underappreciated or undervalued at work, or we're in a relationship that's just not working out. And we're thinking to ourselves, what does one really have to do to get ahead? When am I going to get my big break like the guy next door? And is it really worth it to keep trying? Is it really worth it to keep pursuing this faith journey and to keep pursuing what I know that God has called me to do? Well, whatever those situations are this morning, you can take faith in the fact that those struggles are temporary. Those struggles are temporary because the struggles of this life and the things that make you want to lose your mind are temporary. And love can and will conquer them. Love can and will conquer them. Because if we continue to run from these moments, what we're doing is we're placing our own ability or the ability of others or fate in a situation that only Jesus Christ can control and that only Jesus Christ can conquer in and through us. Because there is a day coming when those of us who know and follow Jesus Christ will fully understand. It will all be made known. And at that point, we will have no need to try to get ahead. We will have no need to try to show pride. We will have no need to be important. And we will definitely not have any need to win because at that point in time, we have already won. We have already won. And love is the currency and the vehicle that makes all of this work. Love is that vehicle that makes all of this a reality And that love, my friends, never, ever, 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 ever ends. Never ends. Talking about love and showing it are two completely different things. The church at Corinth struggled with this in AD 60, and a couple thousand years later, chances are you and I still struggle with it. But the truth is that we sit here today in a worship environment, and we can experience that joy of the Lord. We can have that wind in our sails and we can have that peace when there is no reason that the circumstances in our life should lead to peace. And the only way that we can do that is because of the love that Jesus Christ lavished on us. 
We're told in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. So he made himself nothing and took the very nature of a servant and became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. And it is because of that love that you are offered life. It is precisely because of that love that you are offered life and that we can live in this radical way where love conquers all. This morning, as we close, I encourage you to respond and reflect upon that love. We have communion tables that are set up throughout this auditorium for you to come and to remember the sacrifice that was made for you. Some of our A6 ministers are going to be at those tables, and they're going to lead you through this, um, this act of worship where we stop to remember the body of Christ that is broken for us and where we stop to remember and celebrate the blood that was poured out in love. The front of this room is also open for you to feel free to come and pray. To say, God, I want to live that kind of way, but I don't know how to do it. And there's going to have to be some radical change that happens in my life before I walk out the door this day for that to happen. As Leo said this morning, don't sit on your hands and try to figure that out on your own. By an act of obedience, walk forward and say, I can't figure this out on my own, but I want to live that kind of way. I want to experience this love that you're talking about. I I want to experience it personally, but I want to show it to others. Then this response time is for you as well. But wherever you are this morning, you might be at a really, really good place. Or you might be struggling. Or you might just be downright frustrated and ready to quit. Well, listen to the truth this morning from God's word that love conquers all. It does. Love conquers all. It comes with a huge price. A huge price. But it conquers all. And let's respond this morning in worship because of that truth. Amen? Because of that truth. Father, thank you for this time to be together in your word. Thank you for the sacrifice that was made for each of our lives, for the love that was lavished so richly and so generously upon us so that we can have life to the fullest and that we can show that to others. I pray this morning that that would be on our minds and on our hearts and on our lips as we sing songs, as we celebrate communion. I pray that you would do something in our midst, start something here today in our lives that can't be stopped. A radical change, a radical adopting of love that doesn't really make sense by the world standards, but that makes all the sense based on your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for this beautiful morning of life. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Won't you come?